when you're six years old and your dad says, take these discs and reformat the hard drive to this computer, you know you're destined for a career in technology. Those were the words Joe Lennon heard in his youth. And today, Joe is the co-founder and CTO of WorkVivo, a company that is helping employees communicate with their peers while staying actively engaged with their employer. Joe joined IT Visionaries to discuss how the platform assisted companies in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And he explains why employer retention is a fight companies didn't see coming and how it affects the future of work. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, host of IT Visionaries. And today we have special guest, Joe. What is going on? And not much, Ian. Uh, it's really, really great to be on the on the show. Uh, really looking forward to having a chat. Yeah, me too. Uh, so we're going to get into what you're building at WorkVivo uh, and your background. So to get started, how did you get started in technology? Sure. Yeah. So I've been really into computers and, and technology in general really since I was a kid. My parents would have always encouraged my interest in computers. Um, I remember one of my earliest memories is that I had an Amstrad computer in my bedroom. Um, and I remember typing up the basic code that uh, was listed in the back of the manual for that, trying to get these really primitive games to work. Um, and I would have been about six or seven years old at the time. I also remember a time when I think my father bought a, a magazine for, for, for a computer magazine for me, and it had a like, like computer magazines of the time did, it had a floppy disk attached to the front of it uh, with a demo for the game Aladdin, um, based on the Disney movie of, of around the same time. And I remember installing that demo on our family computer, which I believe was like a 386SX computer um, back in those days. And unfortunately, the floppy disk that came with that magazine had a virus on it. <laughs> um, and I remember my, my grandfather, who is also very interested in, in technology and computing, him and my, my father trying to repair um, the damage that this virus had done to our, to our computer. And ultimately, it couldn't be recovered. So my dad one day gave me a box. And in that box was a, a large collection of um, DOS and or MS-DOS and, and Windows 3.1 installer disks. And essentially told me, hey, son, go away, reformat the hard drive on this computer and go and reinstall all those operating systems. <laughs> so that was pretty much my first introduction to, to computing. I remember as well, I suppose my, my first experience with the internet was actually on, my dad had a, a, an IBM ThinkPad laptop. It was, it was a black and white monochrome screen. Um, and it had a 14.4K PCMCIA modem with it. And I remember using that to access the internet um, using, I think it was like Netscape Navigator 2 back in the day. And that would have been my first experience. I would have gone on from there then to, you know, in my youth doing lots of somewhat interesting things, I guess. Um, I, I actually started a web ho- a free web hosting service um, using a reseller web hosting account um, that I was fortunate enough to get set up at, at, at one point. But I remember it actually one, one morning I woke up and the whole thing had been shut down overnight um, because 
one of my users decided that it would be a great idea to upload some photos that they shouldn't have to that uh, account. Um, so that was my my entry and exit from uh, being a free web hosting service. Um, and then later on, I'd go on to, to start a web design company as well when I was about 15 years old, making some pocket money doing websites for local businesses when local businesses didn't really have websites. So I think it was pretty much inevitable then that I you know, would go on to university to study information systems and technology. And then you know, that I would go on from there to, to work in technology itself. Yeah, that is a real... <laughs> when, when, you're, uh, when your dad says... <laughs> reformat the hard drive, uh, you know you're in it from a young age. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and it definitely hasn't been my last experience of, in- of reinstalling operating systems, something that um, almost became a hobby for me in my, in my youth, I think, you know, installing different operating systems and you know, getting experience with the likes of Linux and FreeBSD and, and other operating systems after that. So he taught me early <laughs> how to do something that I would go on to do quite a bit um, in the years after. So flash forward to today, tell us a little bit about WorkVivo. Sure. So essentially, WorkVivo is a platform that helps uh, organizations to better connect with their employees. So it's a, it's a communications platform, but it's a little bit different to other platforms in that we built WorkVivo not necessarily to solve any particular problem around communication itself, but in fact, to try and help organizations with employee engagement. So myself and my my co-founder, John Goulding, we come from a background of working in the the human capital management and HR space. And we would have had a lot of experience building platforms in that space and would have seen a, a trend over the past number of years where the focus for companies was shifting from in the past being around things like performance management, where companies were really focused on trying to get the most out of their employees to a world where talent management became the focus, where it was you know, about trying to retain the, the best employees that they had in the business. And I think you know, one of the, the real trends that we saw in the buildup to, to starting WorkVivo was the focus on employee engagement. And that's really, I think, something that has been an issue for organizations, you know, not, it's not a recent thing. It's definitely something that organizations have struggled with for, for decades now. But I think there's been a real realization in recent years that in order to get the most out of your employees and to retain the best people, you need to get engagement right. So we focused on that as our core mission. It was to, was to try and help organizations with engagement. And as we went on that journey, we discovered that one of the biggest challenges with it was, you know, through communications and that communications um, in many ways was an issue for, for organizations in, in, in many different ways. And that ultimately led us to build WorkVivo. So in, in terms of what WorkVivo is, you know, essentially it's a social platform that people are very familiar with, but applied in a business context. So using our platform employees can do things like read and post content they can you know like and share and engage and interact with content in very much the same way that they do outside of the working environment but they can also do things like recognize others through recognize their peers rather through things like shout outs they can link posts to company goals and values create community spaces publish company articles and events and, and much more a lot of our customers would also use the platform as a social intranet with centralized access to things like a people directory, applications, 
document management systems, um, all built into this into this platform. We really like what we we founded WorkVivo originally to connect employees with the organization in in new and interesting ways. And so, as CTO, tell me a little bit about your role. Are you building product? Are you working on like internal technology systems? Bit of both. Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose there's really kind of a dual aspect of my role in terms of being a co-founder of the company and also being the CTO. So as a co-founder, a big part of my role is in defining the strategy and vision for the company as a whole, along with my co-founder, John Goulding. As a CTO, I primarily overlook all things product and technology. So that includes everything from managing the product roadmap and also our engineering teams. But I'm also, you know, a coder at heart, um, and I still contribute code today. Um, although it is becoming increasingly difficult as we grow, as obviously my other responsibilities are, are ramping up somewhat. But I think it's 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 almost in my DNA to be a coder, so I'll always probably contribute in some shape or form um, into the future. One of the things I suppose, like that, I'd say about the role is that it's it's really exciting because you you get the opportunity to work on you know, cutting edge technology and tools every single day. You know, so we're, we're shipping features in the product that are leveraging the type of technology that, you know, wasn't accessible to startups like us, you know, not so long ago. So it's, it's really being able to work on a product in this environment is really refreshing and, you know, very enjoyable for somebody like myself who's very technical in nature. Yeah, and so... As it relates to some of the like employee technology and things like that, you've been, you know, head of technology before at other companies. You've obviously started other companies. How is it different this time around? How are you, how have you approached it differently? Yeah, great question. I think, you know, I've I've been pretty I suppose vocal about my past experiences with um with startups and starting businesses up until this point. I mean, one of the things that I definitely experienced in previous roles is some of the challenges around you know, the type of company that you're trying to build and the approach that you're taking to that. So in a previous venture, you know, I, would, I would have tried to tackle a problem in an industry that I didn't have a lot of experience in. I would have tried to tackle it in a space which was consumer-facing, which has all sorts of challenges that I, again, don't have a lot of background in. And that all created massive challenges for even just getting that business off the ground. And I think when, when we started this business, it was really clear to me, firstly, that you know, I was going to start and work with somebody who I knew for a very long time, somebody who I had a lot of trust in. And we, you know, myself and John, my co-founder, we, we know each other quite a long time. We have a very good understanding of what each other's strengths and weaknesses are. Um, and we complement each other very much in, in that regard. So you know, John brings a lot of, you know, very strong customer facing pedigree to, to his role. And obviously I bring the kind of product and technology expertise. And it's, it's that, you know, combination that seems to work really effectively. And I think going into this opportunity, it was always one of the things that we, we knew we wanted to do was to leverage not just the, the knowledge and the experience that we have within, you know, our own specific strengths, but also in terms of the experience that we had with regards to myself and John would have worked for many years in a company called Core HR, which is a, an enterprise HR and payroll software company. And obviously, we learned an awful lot about you know, people technology um, through, throughout those years. And you know, we knew, and I, I knew particularly from my own experience in the previous startup, that I wanted to apply you know, something that I had a lot of experience and knowledge of rather than trying to 
you know, learn, you know, about a new industry and a new market all at the same time as trying to start a business. So I think, you know, those, those are some of the, the, the things I think I would, would have taken into this particular opportunity. It's funny, actually, when, when we started the company, so one of the first challenges I think that we probably faced was, was actually deciding to start the company in the first place. Um, so as I mentioned, you know, I was, I was really just off the back of trying to save the music business with technology, which, you know, even saying that out loud sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> well, um, well, John uh, was actually looking forward to having some time off with his family after a pretty hectic few years at the, at the helm of Core HR, which, you know, he went through a, an, an acquisition and, you know, a pretty rigorous 12 months uh, after that of, you know, handing over to new owners and so on. But with that, I mean, you know, we've known each other, as I said, for many years, and it really didn't take us all that long after we met up to decide to, to start a company together. One of the other challenges, I think, was, was actually deciding what to work on. So I know a lot of founders, you know, start off by waking up one morning with an epiphany of this is what I'm going to do and this is the problem that I'm going to solve. And it genuinely it wasn't actually like that for us. I mean, we, we decided to start a company before, before we decided what we were going to do. And, you know, so when we set out, when we set out to build WorkVivo, you know, we didn't obviously have a name. So WorkVivo, you know, the name came a little bit later on in the journey. But what we did do was we, we set down a number of, you know, founding principles that, you know, both of us agreed on very strongly that we wanted to apply to our business. So that ranged everything from, you know, what realm it was going to exist in to, you know, what type of customer we were going to position ourselves towards right down to, you know, the type of culture that we wanted to create and, you know, whether we wanted to build a company that required investment or whether we wanted to bootstrap and all of that. And, you know, I can say right now that, you know, some of the things that we decided at that particular moment in time have definitely evolved and, and, and changed over, over time as, as the company has grown. But I think, you know, some of those founding principles really guided us to essentially focusing on something that we knew we could build a really good product in, in that space. And uh, yeah, I think it's worked really well for us. And so taking a step back for the platform, you know, what, what's the scope of, of problem right now with, uh, that you're solving? Like, what are people currently doing? Because we've talked a little bit about internal, uh, you know, comms on this show. And it seems like perhaps, you know, maybe afterthought is, is a bit you know, too extreme, but it seems like, especially as like COVID got brought on, it seemed like employee internal communications was definitely not an area that was a primary focus for a lot of leaders. And then now obviously is at the forefront. Sure. No, absolutely. And I think one of the, the challenges for companies is that, you know, as, as you just said, it previously like internal communications solutions were Definitely something that were really important for a business, but they weren't necessarily critical to their primary function as, as a company, especially in, in organizations where, you know, the physical office-based scenario was, was still, you know, very strong. And I think, you know, what we've definitely seen, particularly over the last six months, is a renewed focus on internal communications, not just for the sake of actual having a communications platform, but, you know, communications with a purpose. And I think... You know, many companies are going through a process, even right now, where they're really trying to identify, you know, what the purpose of different types of communication actually are, right? So I think, you know, this communication landscape within technology right now is, is pretty vast. And there's a lot of different vendors doing a lot of very different things. For us, you know, what we've seen is that really, it kind of boils down to three main channels of communication. So you have your 
like we're on right now. You've, you've got your, your video and your audio communication over technologies like Zoom. And obviously that's playing a very pivotal role in enabling companies to continue to operate um, in, a, in a fully remote world. You have your instant real-time communications um, platforms, the likes of Slack, where somebody needs to have a conversation with somebody in real time. It's synchronous. It's in the moment. And you know, there's, there's some really great platforms like Slack out there um, doing a really great job of that. What we have seen companies struggle with maybe a little bit more is on how to get important messaging across that, that's important across the business out there to all employees in a way where that messaging takes on a little bit more meaning than maybe you, you get in an in-the-moment communication channel like a Zoom call or like on a Slack channel. And that's something that we found that WorkVivo has really sat well into. It's that third space of, of communications, which is really around the type of content that reaches further across the organization and lives on for a little bit longer than that ephemeral content like um, video and, and chat. So we're seeing, you know, we call it nearly like a trifecta of um, communications tools being really important for, for companies, not just as they navigate this crisis, but indeed, you know, as, as we move on from the position we're in and into hopefully the, the future. So I want to get under the hood a little bit. How do you build this platform? Sure. So the WorkVivo platform is a communications platform that we have built um, as software as a service product. So essentially, we have organizations of every shape and size using WorkVivo to deliver effective communications in our organization. So we use a framework called Laravel at, at the back end of our, of our product. Um, and we actually write our front end web and mobile applications using React and, and React Native. We also have a collection of desktop clients. So for Windows, Mac, and Linux, which we've uh, built using Electron. So, you know, again, as a startup, one of the kind of important things for us is that we're able to leverage technology to target multi-platform in a way that, you know, doesn't require us to have a very large team. And we've been really, you know, fortunate to be able to use technologies like this to target, you know, so many different end user clients, you know, without having to invest too heavily in having separate teams for all these different platforms. From an infrastructure perspective, you know, we, we, we run on AWS and we have done since day one. And it's really been a game changer, you know, for us obviously in WorkVivo, but I mean, I've used AWS and, and, and other cloud vendors for many years now. And it's really enabled, you know, companies like us to achieve pretty incredible things from a scalability and from a functionality perspective that you know, if you look not too far ago, they just really would have been well beyond scope for, for, for a company like us. So like within WorkVivo, I mean, we're supporting large enterprise customers for their communications uh, needs. And we're able to do that really effectively without having the, the traditional you know, capital investment requirements that you would have had to build out your own data centers and so on, because we're able to leverage things like AWS. So that's kind of a pretty high level view of like how we build WorkVivo. Obviously, you know, we've got um, a great team of engineers um, who are working on the products. As I mentioned already, I'm, I'm, I'm a coder myself and uh, I still contribute myself from, from an engineering perspective. And yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're constantly shipping, you know, new features and, and product to, to evolve our solution and make it more useful for our customers. From a like, technology perspective, I mentioned a little earlier that it's great to be working on a product like this because you get exposed to some you know, really interesting technology. And 
One example, I guess, of that is you know a feature that we've just shipped our first version of recently, which is our live streaming feature. So again, you know, as I mentioned, you know, we're we're still a pretty small company, and building something as you know highly functional as a, as a live streaming feature is is a major challenge for a small company like ourselves. But we've been able to leverage some really great technology to do that, um, and you know the end result is that you know in spite of our size, we we have a live streaming video technology as part of our platform now that can you know support up to one million people viewing at any given moment in time. It's you know got sub sub second latency, so it's like super super low latency, and you know we've had some really really great feedback from the, from the first customers that we've rolled it out to. So we're really excited about about that, but. Yeah, I mean it's it's a really interesting, you know, not just company, but it's space to be part of because you know it's it's continuously evolving and changing, um, and the expectations of not just our customers but of the employees working in our customers is constantly evolving and changing as well. You know, I think you don't have to look that far back to kind of have a world where the idea that you'd have you know an enterprise social network with you know, live broadcast functionality used in in major companies would have even been a thing. But you know, now the pace of of change of expectations of users is now people working within these large organizations almost expect that you know there's going to be that type of platform available to them to communicate with their colleagues. And so, you know, as you're building the product, how do you look at like internal employee technologies? What sort of things do you all? leverage to make sure that your team, which is a growing team, as you mentioned, has everything they need to work? Yeah, sure. So I think, you know, it's, I heard somebody um, recently use the phrase drinking your own champagne, right? So it, I think traditionally people may have used a, a far less um, friendly phrase like dog fooding for, right? Which is basically to mean that we use our own technology for um, the purpose of uh, delivering an employee experience to our own employees, right? So we, we use WorkVivo heavily internally, but we also use, you know, a, a whole suite of other, of other tools that, you know, some of them I've mentioned already that WorkVivo complements really, really well. So the likes of, of Zoom, um, obviously we use pretty much exclusively now for, you know, having video conversations with each other and, and having team meetings and so on. We're heavy users of Slack and WorkVivo as well. So, you know, all of our chat conversations would, would happen in Slack. And uh, we've, we've been a, a long admirer of theirs. But right down through to, I mean, you know, even, even if we look before like the pandemic broke, I mean, we, the tools that we were using before that have really enabled us to kind of shift gears into this you know, new, like fully remote world really, really easily. So, I mean, because we're, you know, we're cloud native. I mean, we, we started our company in 2017. So pretty much every tool and every you know, piece of technology that we're using exists in the cloud and has done since day one. So for us, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't like there was a big you know, major shift that we needed to do to move technology around or to you know, start embracing cloud or anything like that. We were able to just you know, say to the team, hey, everyone, just bring your laptops home and, and start working from home until we figure out what, you know, what we need to do going forward. And to be honest, it just it just really worked quite well. So, like from a product development perspective, you know, we use tools like GitHub, we use tools like you know Clubhouse for managing you know our issues and tickets and so on, and a whole host of other you know really great cloud-based platforms to do everything from testing our product to deployment to to gathering feedback and so on as well. And what about you know educating and retaining tech talent? 
how do you think about, you know, building, building your team? Obviously, technology talent is always a premium. You know, you're based in Ireland, so a little different from, uh, from some of our other guests that we've had on here. So how do you look at uh, retaining talent, especially in this new, you know, remote work uh, world? Yeah. So I think, I think there's, there's kind of two things that I would focus on there. So the first is like on how, how we work to try and retain talent. And then also, you know, how we try to ensure that, you know, that the people within our company are, are continuously developing and, you know, embracing new technology and everything else that goes with that. So, you know, I, th- I think when I look at it with regards to trying to retain the best people, ultimately, I think people really just want to be passionate about their work. You know, they want to feel like they're part of something bigger, not just that they're showing up to work every day and then waiting for their paycheck at the end of the month. So I think, you know, one of the most important things that any organization can do in, in an effort to try and retain people is to actually give people really interesting and challenging work to help drive their passion. You know, and don't get me wrong, we, we all have to do things that we don't enjoy from time to time. You know, that's just part of working life. But I think as a company, it's really important to ensure that people are both enjoying and also getting satisfaction out of their work. Otherwise, they're you know, never going to feel a strong enough uh, connection in order to stick around in the long run. I think as well, like for companies, companies need to probably better understand. And I think there's definitely been a shift in this in, in recent years, but to better understand that talent management is, is really a two-way street. So I think traditionally, you know, the process for companies around, you know, employee talent management has been around continuously proving that the employees are, you know, still value, valuable to the company that they work for. And I think these days it's as important if, you know, not more important for the employer to prove their value to the employee um, to continue to, to keep them, you know, not just interested and engaged, but also to keep them working at that company, because it's obviously so much easier for people to, to move jobs these days that um, I think it's really, you know, shown that focus for companies that they need to be mindful of this. But I think, you know, if you look even in the not too distant recent past, you know, companies have used mechanisms like the corporate ladder to create an element of prestige around things like job titles and a person's position within an organization. But I think, you know, this is becoming increasingly less and less important for people. Today, people want to work in a place that better represents their own personal values. They want to work for a company that they feel proud to represent. They want to work somewhere where they feel that, you know, that company is actually contributing positively to the world. And you know, we've hired, you know, a number of people recently. We've obviously interviewed a large number of people for those roles. And what's been really interesting has been how, you know, when we ask people why they want to work at WorkVivo, they say very often that it's because of, you know, not just what, you know, our company's values are and, 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 and everything like that. It's and not the opportunity that, that's in front of them. It's what our product does and what our product is, is trying to achieve in the companies that, um, that use our, users our software. And that boils down to you know, the fact that they're already working in companies where they see this as a big problem and they see a product like ours and see you know, a solution to that problem for these companies and they want to be part of that solution rather than being part of the problem. So I think you know, in, in many ways, it can be really difficult for larger organizations than us in particular to introduce the level of organizational change required to shift their focus in response to this. But I do think companies are, are realizing that doing so is, is not really optional. And I think then a, a big part of that becomes about you know, nurturing people's talents and enabling things like upskilling and so on. 
And I think, you know, one of the things I've, I've certainly seen in my experience, and I, I think it's the same globally, but one of the things that's probably most important is to nurture people's skills in a way that suits their own personal learning style. So, you know, we, we would have people in our organization who are members of the YouTube generation and, you know, they learn everything that they know from video content. We also have team members who are maybe a little bit more old school and prefer, you know, old fashioned books and, uh, and thoroughly enjoy having a subscription to something like Safari Books Online from, from O'Reilly. Um, and then, you know, in a completely different way, we've actually sponsored a team member to go and do an MBA because she's taking on a more managerial role. And that's ultimately where she wants to take her career in the future. So I think it's really recognizing that people learn in very different ways and have different learning styles and accommodating that. I think, you know, for us in particular as a startup, I think it's, it's quite easy for us to be very hands-on with helping, you know, the team to stay up to date and, you know, keep informed about emerging technology. So, you know, I personally will regularly see, you know, a new premium course launch um, on some technology that we're using or indeed some technology that we're maybe not even using right now. And I'll go and I'll buy a team license for that and share it with the team so that, you know, not everybody may be interested in it, but some people will be. And we'll find that they'll learn something new that they can apply in Morphevo uh, on the back of it. So a recent example of that is, you know, I just recently bought licenses for our mobile developers on a course that teaches about Swift UI, which is a, a newer declarative approach for building iOS apps. Now, we don't currently use Swift UI in, in Morphevo, but that, that isn't the point. That doesn't really matter. I guess by understanding alternative technologies better, you know, we will know if we are continuing to choose the right tools for the job. And should we ever need to use something else, you know, this will put us in a really strong position to do so. And the last thing I'd, I'd say on this topic, I, I guess, is that, you know, my experience has definitely been that people learn best by doing. So again, it comes back to that kind of interesting work, providing interesting projects that leverage emerging technology for me is the best way that people can get up to speed with that type of technology. Now, we're very fortunate in Morphevo in that we get to do a lot of this in our main product. But I think something that can be useful for other companies and something that we do ourselves is, you know, the concept of a developer offsite. And, you know, one of the things that we're really excited about restarting post-COVID and something that we may end up just doing digitally in the coming months is something that we call 404 Developer Not Found Day, <laughs> which is where essentially the, developer, the, the development team in Morphevo disappears um, for a day, and we collaborate on a completely different project to what we would normally do at work. So this is typically you know, something that will allow us to try out some new technology or some framework that we're not using right now and you know, see how it works and learn about it. And you know, in many cases, you know, we end up bringing that technology and, and applying it within you know, a work project down the line. Oftentimes, we'll also use this as a way to try and give back. So you know, a local charity We'll work with them on a development project that, you know, maybe they don't have the budget to go off and commission an agency to go and build for them. So, you know, we can, we can help them with that by working on a project like that. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much what I think on that one. So what's next for WorkVivo? What do you got in the hopper? What's, what's exciting? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a really, really, really interesting time for us. I think, you know, one of the like, bits of news that we would have broken in the not too distant past was that we, you know, we raised a $16 million uh, Series A round of investment. Um, so that's obviously, you know, really given us the ammunition to grow our business from where we are right now. 
to becoming you know one of the the leading global players in um, in communications software. So I think there's some you know really exciting times for us ahead. You know we're currently in the process of you know building out our team. Obviously, as you mentioned, we started um, here in Ireland, um, but our team now expands into into the US as well. So we have a number of people working in the United States, and we'll be continuing to grow this team internationally as well in the year ahead. Like from a product perspective, we have a lot of exciting technology in the works. We've actually just recently shipped something that may be of particular interest here, a new feature that enables companies to host an internal podcast on Workvivo. So one of the things that's been you know, really interesting to see, especially over the last number of months, is that companies are really looking for you know, new ways to, to reach their, their employees. And like obviously podcast is not something that's necessarily you know new technology but i think it's the companies embracing it for um, as an internal communications channel is definitely something that's not something that you see very often so we've built um an interesting podcasting feature which allows companies to do one of two things so for some companies you know they'll they're big enough that they have the they have their own internal podcasts maybe even multiple of them um, and they'll have a directory of those that are accessible only internally, or other companies will have their own public podcasts that they want people to be able to, to browse and, and listen to while they navigate WorkVivo. And then other companies don't have their own podcasts, but they want to you know, essentially make a directory of industry-relevant podcasts available to their, to their team. So we've been able to come up with a solution within WorkVivo that enables companies to do all of those things, whether it be importing existing public podcasts just like this one from their RSS feed, or indeed, you know, uploading audio files and uh, metadata around the podcast directly into WorkVivo and hosting it there um, for internal consumption only. So that's, that's one example. As I mentioned, you know, we, we've already shipped a, the start of our live streaming feature, which we're really excited about. We've done some really cool integrations recently as well with um, Slack and with Zoom. So you can now broadcast and host a, a Zoom webinar directly from WorkVivo. So you know, this has been really taken up very well by some of our customers who have a large part of their business where, you know, they're not your typical Zoom user. So, you know, often when you have, you know, non-desk based employees who are out in the field and, you know, aren't necessarily big technology users and you want to have a webinar with them, they're, you know, those users are using WorkVivo on their mobiles, on their, on their, on their mobile devices. You know, oftentimes they're not necessarily using Zoom or used to using Zoom. So by being able to in integrate that experience within WorkVivo, it's it's opened up those webinars to a much larger percentage of the of the organization. So that's been really cool. And yeah, there's never a dull moment at WorkVivo. We're always we're always working on something new and exciting. And uh, yeah, that's just some examples of that. Taking a peek into your crystal ball here, what do you think the future of work is looking like? You know, post pandemic. And, uh, and how is technology going to change? What trends are you excited for? Yeah, so I, I think this is obviously one that's really hard to predict because, you know, so much of it depends on, you know, when we actually reach that kind of destination of like when the pandemic has ended, right? Which we, no, no, nobody really knows when or if that's even going to happen right now. So I think it's almost like the holy grail that we'll get to a world where the pandemic no longer exists. I think what's particularly interesting to me is how the shift to remote work has really evolved as time has gone by over the past five months. You know, I think at first, I think there was almost a real kind of energy around it. I think people who, you know, hadn't historically worked remotely really enjoyed being able to work from home and not having to deal with the everyday stresses of, 
traffic and the school run and everything else that goes with it in just getting to the office every day and, and back. And I think a lot of companies were also quite surprised by just how well a remote workforce actually worked for them. And I think perhaps that kind of pointed to maybe a kind of a historic lack of trust in whether people would actually be productive when working from home. And I think for many, it's actually been the opposite and they've experienced that and, and productivity has actually increased somewhat. I think it's been really interesting though, in, in particularly in the most recent months, um, I think you know, a lot of people are starting to experience you know, a, le- a level of fatigue associated with remote working. And I think it's, you know, a lot of that boils down to that it's become pretty normal now for people to almost spend entire days jumping from Zoom call to Zoom call. And I think if you kind of compare that to the office environment where, you know, sure, your days may have been jumping from meeting to meeting, but at least within an office context, you have that ability to context switch while you're walking from one meeting room to the other. Whereas, you know, right now people are finishing a Zoom call at 59 minutes past and then jumping onto the next one on the top of the hour. So, you know, personally, I myself have actually found myself yearning to return to the office recently as and I think that's because I'm, I'm not particularly well set up to work from home. You know, I've been working from a desk in my bedroom since the start of the outbreak and spending eight hours a day working, you know, a few feet from the place that you sleep every night. It, it tends to take its toll after a while, I think. And that's definitely become apparent in, in, in more recent months. So I think what's going to be really interesting is, you know, that the focus on remote working during the pandemic has been primarily centered on the whole work from home thing. But I really do believe that what we'll see, you know, once the pandemic is hopefully over soon, that we'll start to see more and more companies enabling their people, you know, not just to work from home, but to work remotely from wherever they want to work. You know, I find myself that I actually really enjoy working outside an office setting, but just not necessarily from home in my bedroom. And I think a lot of people will be in, in a similar bracket to that. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, the, the fatigue piece is you know, with anything new, I think we were just trying to piece along, you know, okay, like, you know, with duct tape, here are the solutions that will, okay, well, I can do this and I can work on my nightstand, off my nightstand and this, that and the other, but it hasn't ever felt normal, you know? Absolutely. And then until, you know, I think everyone would have to collectively take a step back and be like, how do I want to organize my day? How, when do I want to come into the office versus not? Or, you know, see other people. But I, I agree. I think that, you know, when you're in the same square footage every day, uh, every single day, it's, uh, it's pretty challenging. I mean, I've worked from home for a long time, but you just don't realize how much you get out of the house. You know, like you really don't. No, absolutely. I, I think as well, it, it extends to that, you know, I think, I think it's becoming a big focus now around work-life balance. And I think it's probably, you know, interesting that in the Northern Hemisphere, it's the summertime. And I think people are maybe you know, would have been going on, you know, vacations and holidays that around this time. And I think, you know, they're seeing that they're kind of deciding not to do that because, you know, they can't travel to the places they want to travel to. And, you know, they're, they're starting to experience, you know, not just the like meeting fatigue where it's like you're spending all your day on all day, every day on calls, but also, you know, that always connected thing, right. Which is new. Like, I know it's not new to everybody, but I think it's new for a lot of people where, you know, they feel like they're always switched on. And it's, it's kind of gone from, you know, maybe people electing to do that in some cases to a place where it's nearly expected. And I think, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of people particularly, but I think companies are going to have to as well start to focus on, you know, how we can move to a world where we have a better balance 
going forward because I think, you know, right now it's definitely people are becoming all consumed by work more than they ever have been. And I think it's going to be important for companies to ensure that, you know, people have an outlet, especially when working from home, that they don't feel like they're always working 24-7. So it'll be really interesting to see how things play out over the next few months. But I do think we're going to see some some real changes. And I think obviously post-pandemic, you know, I think the like remote is here to stay for sure. But I think, you know, a lot of people are saying that, you know, where nobody's ever going to go back to the office. And I, I definitely don't think that would be the case. I think, I think people will go back to the office. I think a lot of people will have found that they've, you know, worked from home, worked remotely, really enjoyed it, love it, and want to continue doing so. And it'll, it'll suit their lifestyle. I think other people, especially, you know, young single people will probably take the opportunity to go and, you know, maybe travel the world and, you know, work from different locations around the world and, and embrace remote from that perspective. But I do think there's going to be, you know, a lot of people who are really anxious to get back to the office and enjoy that kind of, camaraderie that you get around the office that is very hard to recreate, you know, in a remote setting. So, and I'm, I'm definitely in that brigade myself. So looking forward to that. Okay. Let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like the Salesforce customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. You can go to salesforce.com slash platform to learn more. They're the best. Check them out. Salesforce.com slash platform. Lightning round questions. Joe, are you ready? I'm not sure. <laughs> Ready as I'll ever be. You better be. Number one, have you picked up a hobby during shelter in place? I have. Retro, all things retro. I've become obsessed about everything to do with retro tech, which has been kind of interesting. It's a little bit of a guilty pleasure, but one of my favorite YouTube channels is um, a channel called LGR. And this regularly includes reviews of really terribly boring things like 20-year-old PCI sound cards things like installing old versions of Microsoft Windows on old PCs and reviewing, you know, really old games like Quake and Unreal. I also really enjoy a channel called Metal Jesus Rocks, which is a channel all about collecting retro video game consoles and games. So that's, that's probably the hobby that I've picked up um, over the course of the last few months. Do you have a favorite book or podcast or, or TV show that you've been binging recently? Sure. My, my favorite podcast is a podcast called Full Stack Radio. So it's hosted by a guy called Adam Wadden, based in Canada. Um, Adam is the author of a CSS framework called Tailwind, and he's a prominent member of, of the, some of the tech communities that are very relevant to the field I work in. It's a really, really great podcast, actually. He has a lot of really interesting guests on regularly talking about you know, everything from technology stacks to you know, non-tech things as well, like people's hobbies and interests and so on. So he's had, you know, the likes of DHH from Basecamp has been on a couple of times and Jason Freed and uh, some other really interesting guests as well. So yeah, Full Stack Radio is probably that one I would say to that. What's your best advice for a first-time CTO? Mm, Good question. So my my best advice for a first-time CTO is to enable people to do their job effectively and then get out of the way. I find, especially with development and engineering teams, that oftentimes like, people work in a way that doesn't necessarily go in a continuous line. You know, it's not like you can expect somebody to wake up at nine o'clock in the morning, start coding, and then stop at five o'clock in the evening and go and do the same thing five days a week. It doesn't generally work that way. Generally, you need to hire really good people, you know, trust them to do a really good job, and then provide them with everything that they need in order to be able to do that effectively. And everything else is about just getting out of the way and letting them do their job. And uh, that's probably the best advice I'd give. 
Well, Joe, thanks so much for coming on today. This has been awesome. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Um, no, just, uh, you know, definitely. It would be a shame if I didn't shamelessly plug WorkVivo itself. Um, you know, we're working with some of the, the world's leading organizations to help them with their internal communications. Um, so, you know, check us out on our, on our website at workvivo.com. Follow us on, on Twitter and on the other usual social channels. And uh, if you want to learn more about me or, or, you know, anything, you just you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Lennon or visit my website at joelennon.com. Awesome. Thanks so much. Take care. You too. Thanks for having me on. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. <laughs>